You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hello and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia and today we're going to talk about releasing our addictions to people, food, and substances. I'm two weeks into a juice fast right now and although I'm well nourished and certainly not starving, the emotional part of me wants to eat. I can observe that part of me and understand that food has always served a purpose in my life other than providing nourishment. When I was a teenager, I had an eating disorder. I've talked about that quite a lot. Food was my drug of choice. Either I was anorexic or bulimic. I was either starving myself or binging and purging. I was highly critical of my body and had a belief that if I could somehow achieve perfection, I would be loved. I didn't feel loved in my family. I felt there was something wrong with me. I wasn't normal. And I was certain that it was the flaws and inadequacies within me that caused me to feel the people in my life didn't care about me. I had a belief if I could just change the way I looked, I could change my circumstances. People loved beauty, right? If I could be more beautiful, then I would be loved. But there was more. I was sensitive, emotional, and I lived in an intellectual, emotionally suppressed family. I didn't really fit in. There was no room for my emotions. There was no support for my feelings. Feelings were something we kept to ourselves. We didn't talk about them. So what was I going to do with them? I developed a talent for writing, singing, and playing the flute and the piano. This was my outlet, but I was still missing the human connection piece. I didn't feel there was anyone I could talk to about what was going on inside of me. My stepdad used to make fun of me when I ate because I was emotionally eating. I was getting chubby. He was sure to let me know that he was aware of my food intake, so I started to hide my eating. And this was the first part of developing anorexia. I was shamed for the way I looked and for my consumption of food. And this is where I formed the belief that if I could control my food intake and have a different body, I could get love and approval from my stepdad. But I also believed if I was slim and pretty, I would get love and approval from everyone. To me, being chubby and eating too much equaled being shamed and rejected. The rejection carried on to others who found fault with me on a regular basis. And this only deepened my feelings of unworthiness and inadequacy. By the time I was in high school, I was five foot eight and 120 pounds. I'd grown taller and slimmer. I had a model's body, and I was recruited into an agency. I'd gone from the ugly duckling to the swan. 
but the feelings within me didn't change. I still felt unloved, inadequate, and flawed. I couldn't talk to anyone about my feelings. I was emotionally shut down. I entered therapy at the age of 19 when I was severely bulimic, afraid to gain weight but not able to control my binging and purging. I was a mess. Food consumed my life. I was either trying to control my intake of it, lost in the binge process, of, or violently trying to purge the food I'd consumed from my body. I felt as if it was a poison that could kill me. The therapist my parents found for me believed in family therapy for eating disorders and invited my family to come to the first session. Steve, my therapist, pointed out to me how I was sitting across the room and separated from the rest of the family. It was very subconscious. I wasn't aware how separated I was from my family. He then asked my mom, my stepdad, brother, and sister why they believed that they were there. And each one of them said, it was because I had a problem. I was the problem. He then asked everyone how they felt about my problem. My little sister cried and said she was afraid I would die. She was the most honest, the most in touch with her feelings. My brother had the attitude that it was my problem, and he really didn't want to be bothered by it. Steve asked my brother if I was in trouble and I needed a place to stay if he would take me in. And he said no. He had his own life and couldn't be bothered with my problems. My mom complained that I wasn't very conscientious and would leave orange juice spills on the counter without wiping it up. I don't think my stepdad said much. If he did, I don't remember. It was deeply uncomfortable to be in the hot seat. It was painful to be seen as the problem. The hurt inside of me was so deep, and I was so emotionally shut down, I couldn't access it. I just sat there, observing how everybody in my family felt about me. Steve asked my family to go out to the waiting room so he could talk with me alone. And once he had me alone, he said to me, I want you to know that you are not the problem. An eating disorder like you have is a family problem. You're just the leak in the hose. You're where the problem is being expressed. He told me he felt he could help me with my eating disorder and ask me if I'd like to work with him. And I told him that I would work with him, but I didn't want them there. And he agreed. And so this began a two-year journey to heal my eating disorder and break free from some of the family dynamics that kept me feeling so worthless and inadequate. By the time I was 21, I no longer had an eating disorder, but I still had a long and painful journey ahead of me. When I was in therapy, I got involved with the most abusive man I'd ever been involved with. He was verbally, emotionally, and physically abusive, but when I met him, like most abusers, he was sweet and kind. 
I told my therapist that I met someone, and he was immediately suspicious. He was a very intuitive therapist. And he asked me about this man that I was dating, and I told him that he was really in love with me, and he told me that I was his whole life. Steve told me it was a lot of work to be somebody's whole life. Over my two-year relationship with this man, I realized how much work it really was, and in the end, I ended up running for my life. I was no longer bulimic or anorexic, but I had severe PTSD, something that would follow me throughout my life. I went from having a severe eating disorder to getting involved with the wrong kind of men. That was my new addiction. I hungered for that validation that I never received from my family. And I always chose men who were abusive, emotionally unavailable, addicts, or narcissists. I struggled to have a normal, healthy family life and couldn't be fully available to my son because I was too lost in my addiction. As I entered the 12-step program for codependency, I spent weeks procrastinating on step five, taking a fearless and moral inventory and admitting the exact nature of my wrongs. There were things I didn't want to look at still after all these years, not the stuff from this year or last, but back when I was married to my first husband and I had my son. My husband was bipolar, and he was a cocaine addict. And I was a codependent who was still struggling to feel loved and accepted. My son got the short end of the stick. As I took my inventory, I was in deep pain. Even after all these years, I realized all the times I was checked out, obsessed, emotionally unavailable, and abandoning. I made the men in my life more important than my son because I was addicted to trying to get my needs met in these relationships. When I look back at my past from my present level of awareness, there's deep regret and a strong desire to go back and do it all over again with the wisdom and the level of health that I have now. But sadly, what's done is done. We can't go back. We can only go forward and do the best we can to make amends for the past and forgive ourselves for our lack of health when we didn't know any better. The family dysfunction is always passed down from generation to generation, and I was no exception. My life was about healing and getting healthy, but it was a long, slow journey. And now, at the age of 60, I'm starting to get it. But it feels on so many levels, it's too late. The damage has been done. I grew up in a narcissistic family system where my needs didn't matter. I didn't know how to tend to the needs of a young child. When I never really had support, love, or acceptance in my own life, I did my best But as I look back regretfully, my best was not good enough. Healing from addiction and dysfunction is not an easy process. We have to face the pain we've spent our life running from. 
We need to face our denial and be really honest with ourselves. We need to take responsibility for our part in all the bad relationships and situations we found ourselves in. We need to shed the tears that have been locked up for a lifetime. And we need to truly find support for our own journey. This is not a journey that we should take alone. All addiction has the same core shame and repressed emotional pain. Our drug of choice may be different, but the dysfunction behind the addiction is the same. This can also be true for the disorders that we form, such as bipolar, borderline, narcissistic personality disorder, and other mental illnesses. When we come from dysfunction, abuse, or extremely toxic environments, we have to find a way to cope. I migrated towards codependency and addiction to food and toxic relationships. A lot of the pieces of my life pie were steeped in dysfunction. I would get attention and admiration for the way I looked or for my talent in music, but it never filled the emptiness inside because my relationship with myself was still broken. I was trying to get needs met from out there and hadn't learned how to truly love the one within. Love was a word used lightly and shallowly in my life, yet I hungered for that deep love, the one I somehow intuitively knew existed. As I go deep into my juice fast, I not only shed toxins in the body, but residual emotional toxicity comes to the surface to be released. It's ironic that I should find myself on step five right smack in the middle of this cleanse. It's all perfectly orchestrated. Step five is admitted to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Healing addiction isn't about just quitting a relationship or a substance or a pattern of overeating. It's about facing the dragon within. Our addictions are how we cope with that dragon. That dragon took root at an early age and has been breathing its fire upon us our entire life. We may quit one addiction only to realize another has popped up and taken its place. I replaced my addiction to food and body image with bad relationships. They kept me focused outside of myself trying to fix or rehabilitate my partner and get him to meet my needs for love, approval, attention, and validation. I didn't know I could learn to give these things to myself. Even my expertise in narcissistic abuse came out of my research and focus outside of myself on the disorder of narcissism and the abuse of personality traits. I focused on the healing from narcissistic abuse as it involved learning how to stay away from the narcissist so that you could have that space to heal. 
And eventually on my journey, I founded the path back to self. I began to focus more on codependency and self-love because codependency is the addiction that keeps us doing the dance with the narcissist. Back when I had my radio show Dispelling the Myths, I interviewed Robert Burney, the author of Codependence, The Dance of Wounded Souls. I loved how he summed up our codependence with others as being a dance. And he recognized the toxic partners we danced with were also wounded souls. We were all wounded. We all act and react from our wounds. Bernie says, quote, It is when we start understanding the cause and effect relationship between what happened to the child that we were and the effect it had on the adult we became that we can truly start to forgive ourselves. It's only when we start understanding on an emotional level, on a gut level, that we were powerless to do anything differently than what we did that we can truly start to love ourselves, end quote. We don't take this profound healing journey to beat ourselves up for the way that we've lived our lives up until now. We don't find recovery by shaming the child who's already been shamed enough. We find recovery by acknowledging the wounds of that innocent child and by giving that child the love and attention that it needs. Our shame tells us that we're not enough. Our love tells us we're more than enough. We're worthy. It wasn't our fault. We were born innocent. We need to unlearn our learned behavior and embrace our innocence once again. We need to forgive the unforgivable and set ourselves free to live the life we've truly come here to live. Forgiveness needs to begin with ourselves. We need to forgive ourselves for our own actions, behavior, and choices. We forgive ourselves knowing We're a product of our upbringing and did the best we could with what we had. As we truly learn to forgive ourselves, we may be able to find forgiveness for those who hurt us, knowing they too are a product of their upbringing and doing the best they can with what they've been given. It doesn't mean we go back to an abusive situation or stay in one. It just means that we let go of our anger and our sense of injustice for how that person treated us. We recognize that it wasn't personal. Our abusers didn't abuse us because we were bad or unlovable or unworthy They abused because of their own deep unconscious feelings of unworthiness. Forgiveness doesn't make the abuse okay. It just means we aren't going to carry it around with us anymore. We free ourselves from the abuse because we know that we're worthy of love and respect. 
we learn to love and respect ourselves, and we stop tolerating abuse and disrespect from ourselves or others. I would like to read you something from the fifth step of the 12-step recovery program. Admitting the exact nature of our wrongs is more than repeating to ourselves what we've written. Instead, we take the truth of our history and our codependency into our hearts. Giving the fifth step to ourselves and looking at how self-defeating behavior and the harm we've caused ourselves and others may put us in touch with the exact nature of our wrongs as never before. As we do this, we can see the pain caused by our denial. An honest fifth step supports us in our recovery and helps us understand why our lives were unmanageable. Admitting our wrongs to ourselves help break through to greater honesty, self-awareness, and acceptance. One thing the fourth and fifth steps can do for us as codependents is take our focus off being a victim of someone else's behavior and put it on our own unhealed wounds. It shows us how we ourselves may have been both a victim and an offender. We break free from our denial and get really honest with ourselves on how we got to where we are. We can remain stuck in our victim stories, but that only keeps us anchored in victimhood. And as long as we're here, we will attract another perpetrator. When we can see how we have victimized ourselves and even others, we get a more honest picture. One that will set us free from the patterns that we've been repeating. I strongly encourage you to be very conscious of your guilt. In our recovery, guilt only serves us to right our wrongs when we uncover them. It's like a moral compass. It helps us to instinctively know right from wrong. We need to be very careful not to guilt ourselves into believing that the narcissistic abuse we suffered was somehow our fault. Narcissistic abuse is no more your fault than childhood abuse is. The only difference is that as an adult, you can leave an abusive situation. However, we may still look back over our lives and see that in some of our relationships, we may have harmed our partners in some way. We may have held on even though we needed to let go. Or we may have had affairs. Or we may have unconsciously harmed our children. We may have avoided friends when we were swallowed up by our relationships. The deeper we are, in our codependency or other addictions, the more unconscious we are of our own behavior. And this is because we're in denial. Recovery involves waking up and becoming conscious of the harm we've done to ourselves and to others. It takes courage, a lot of courage, and it takes honesty. 
Being in denial in some ways is much easier than waking up out of the denial and seeing the truth of how we've been living our lives. Where I am now in the fifth step process on day 14 of my juice fast, I'm vulnerable, open, and honest, and I have nothing to hide. I have no addictions to run to, other than my celery, cucumber, cilantro, lemon, pineapple concoction that is out of this world. I'm forgiving myself for all my flaws, foibles, and wrongs, knowing that I did the best I could. My self-love is strong. I am strong. Most of my addictions are in the past. But there's still a lot of growth ahead because we never stop growing. As long as we're breathing, there's still stuff to learn and growing edges to conquer. There are still shadows rising up from the unconscious and dragons to face. But when we are on the journey to recovery and self-love, we have the strength and the tools to face those dragons and create for ourselves a life truly worth living. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And if I can be of any support to you on your journey, you can find me at NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Have a great day, and I'll see you in the next podcast.